Welcome to the Plan Solutions Incorporated podcast. I'm Jason Lachance, and we'll be speaking to President of Plan Solutions, Chase Armour. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If it's your first time, please hit that subscribe button. And hey, leave us a rating and a review. That helps us get more notoriety and kind of move up the charts. And we definitely appreciate that. As well, we appreciate you getting value out of the podcast and sharing with someone else. We continue to see an uptick in listenership, and we know that's because you're sharing as we don't do any advertising of the podcast. So thank you very much. And if you want to subscribe to the personal financial review, the written content we discuss here on the podcast, send Katie an email there at Plan Solutions. That's K-A-T-I-E at PlanSolutions.com. Mr. Armour, how are we good, sir? Doing good. Doing good. I was starting to get cold. You know, these mornings <laughs> getting out of bed and, and heading to work and it's dark and it's cold. It's uh yeah, it feels like winter's already here. <laughs> yes, it does. I don't know what happened with my clock. Uh, I'm going to bed earlier, but I'm waking up at like four o'clock every morning. I guess this is my body's way of saying, get moving there, pal. So I'm just embracing it and going with it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, more productivity that way, right? Exactly. Well, we've got some great topics we're going to uh, discuss here today. Uh, U.S. government debt and deficit financing, 401k force out limits increase, management of credit cards and the look at the bulletin board. So let's dive right into U.S. government debt and deficit financing. Um, we've talked about this. I It's been a while, if I recollect, or maybe it was a conversation you and I had. Why don't you kind of uh, start with breaking it down? What is U.S. government debt and deficit financing and what risks are we seeing as far as when it comes to uh, stock and bond uh, uh, market investors? Yeah, yeah. So obviously, we've we've talked a lot about the short end of the yield curve, right? But the Federal Reserve controls very short-term rates of basically the the shortest of short rates, which is for overnight loans. Um, but uh, a lot of the market is starting to shift looking at longer term rates, which really are are based on supply and demand, right? The uh, the supply of, of credit or of borrowing the, uh, uh, that, that Wall Street is willing to lend and, and the demand for that borrowing and interest rates really uh, in the end are just the price of money, right? That right intermediate price in there that, that clears the market. Um, and what we've seen is a real focus around the U.S. government's uh, uh, you know, weekly financing efforts, if you will, uh, as they're being forced to borrow larger and larger amounts of money. Um, you know, there's been a, a lot of criticism recently uh, for how the U.S. Treasury, uh, their handling of, of the national debt. Um, for years there, where interest rates were low, I mean, we had very low short-term rates, and but still historically low longer-term rates. And largely what the U.S. government chose to do was finance the deficits by borrowing very short term. You know, they were trying to capture the the difference between those very short term rates uh, to, to pay a little bit less than interest. But what that means is a lot of that debt's now coming due. Whereas if they had borrowed on a 10, 20, 30 year basis when uh, long term rates were at historically low levels, yes, they would have paid a little bit more in the short term, uh, you know, that those little bit higher long term interest rates. But of course, uh, that debt wouldn't be coming due for many, many years. And so it would be locked in at what today uh, appear to be pretty attractive, pretty attractive rates. Um, so what we have is is really a combination of two things. The the US government's current really running a deficit that's estimated to be around two trillion over the next year. Uh, and so, you know, with past years, that deficit spending is uh, has to be borrowed. Uh, there's many more than they're collecting in tax revenue. So they're having to go to the 
the the financial markets to borrow that money pretty consistently, while at the same time they're having to roll over debt that's maturing. So you have new debt as well as old debt being financed, um, and so the those numbers are getting really big in terms of the U.S. government coming to the market each week and and really taking a lot of liquidity out of the debt markets. Yeah. So in essence, uh, you know, we would all go pretty broke pretty quick if we were spending more than we were bringing in. Um, but but that's what we're seeing. So with this type of an environment going on, I, I mean, obviously, there's going to be different challenges, not just for the government and, and addressing the deficit and so on. But what is it? What are some of the, the challenges that are presented that are really going to affect us, the U.S. citizens? Yeah. So, you know, what happens is as, as the U.S. government is leaning harder and harder on the financial markets to finance its, its debt and deficit, um, you, you really have greater demand, right? That's what it is, greater demand to borrow. And if you assume the supply, which is, uh, you know, people's willingness to lend or financial institutions' willingness to lend stays the same, what that's going to do is that's going to push up interest rates. Mm-hmm. And we've been seeing that on the longer end of the curve. You know, the 10-year Treasury bond got up over 5% for a short time period there before backing off. And uh, a lot of people are speculating that's not really the effect of Fed policy, you know, that affects the short end of the curve. That's the supply and demand for money Mm. uh, that's affecting broader interest rates. And, you know, what happens then is is the U.S. government will get funded. I mean, they're going to go in and they're going to take whatever liquidity is available first, uh, to meet their financing needs. Um, but what can happen is that could drive up interest rates, which could potentially slow uh, you know, the, the overall rate of growth. And that can become this negative feedback loop, right? Because obviously, as the government's running a deficit and borrowing, it's depending on that future growth to generate additional tax revenue to, to pay, off, uh, uh, pay off or pay down those debts, or at least be able to service uh, the debts by paying the interest. So by slowing the rate of growth, that that has a negative impact. Then for the private sector, you have you know something we've talked about in the past, which is the crowding out effect, and that's where if the U.S. government comes in and takes the bulk of the funds that are available to be borrowed in the in the credit markets, you know it may not leave enough money to finance private investments or even uh, uh, consumer spending or or you know those types of activities, which means someone you know, may not get the financing, some project may not get funded, um, you know, money may not be uh, as readily available for people that are borrowing to consume, uh, which can have a, a you know, negative impact for uh, for the private sector and, and for innovation and, and growth overall. Yeah, yeah. Well, what we've also talked in the past about, about uh, crowding out and what is this how does this affect the private sector then um when it comes to this situation i mean it's it's always a the way the government operates is somehow going to impact the impact us business-wise at some point in one way shape or form or it always does yeah well i mean let's uh you know let's say in a given week the u.s government comes in and is you know required to borrow a, a large amount there's only so much supply in terms of funds available to be lended and uh, lent and, and the government takes the bulk of it, well, then maybe, you know, a company that was planning on borrowing to uh, expand production, right? Mm-hmm. Ex- maybe expand a manufacturing facility or or to uh, invest in, in some new innovation. You know, they, they may not be able to borrow 
because the funds just aren't available, or if they are, they have to go to other markets where it may be far more costly, which means it doesn't pencil out. Uh, or let's say you have a you know consumer company that uh, you know they they sell durable goods, you know whether it's uh, automobiles or solar panels or washing machines. And in the past, to facilitate uh, consumers making those purchases, they've offered consumer financing, right? Where the company goes to the credit markets, borrows the money, and then passes that through to consumers on, you know, some type of uh, you know terms that are that are designed to be packaged with the purchasing of that. Uh, that item. And if those companies go to the credit markets and find that the money's not available, or again, you know, it is, but it's at a much higher cost because of crowding out, then it may be that they can't offer that financing. For some people, that could be the difference between, you know, whether they're able to to make that purchase or not. Um, so it can have just a ripple impact all through, you know, different areas of the private sector um, when when those financing activities aren't uh, aren't available. That's kind of a uh, you know. It's kind of like the the grease that keeps the uh, economic engine running, or the oil that keeps the economic engine running. And uh, when when there's not enough of it, you know, it, it really uh, causes things to start grinding and holding up and and not working the way they're supposed to. And 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 that obviously can lead to a, a slower rate of economic growth. Are there ever any situations when the U.S. government goes to borrow and they're denied? Well, I mean, it is possible that the U.S. you know could go to market, and there's just not enough funds. But you know, we have such robust financial markets, and and like I said, generally the way that the Treasury auctions work is they just come out and say we're willing to borrow this much. You tell us what interest rate you'll demand, mm-hmm. and then they uh, they take the average of the interest rates you know that are bid, and then that's what they pay. So you know, it, it's not really a situation where. Uh, you know, they're going in and saying they'll, they'll just, you know, someone will bid at a high enough interest rate that it'll clear the market and the government will just pay that rate. Um, but that doesn't mean that that's a rate that you or I could afford, right? If we're looking to make a purchase, the difference between that rate and, uh, you know, those higher rates versus what they were, we might say this just doesn't pencil out. Or if you're running a business and, you know, you're doing a weighted average cost of capital calculation on a project. And you thought you were going to be able to go and you know borrow at six percent, and now it's at nine percent. That can be the difference between that project being profitable and not being profitable, right? So it, it gets shelved and, and never gets funded. Okay, thank you for the clarification. I was curious about that. Well, what about as far as uh, you know reaching beyond our borders when it comes to international type of affairs? I mean, it's it's been in the news before, you know the. With China purchased some of our debt, and I, I think we talked about a couple of other countries at one point. I don't recollect. Yeah, that's one of the big risks, right? I mean, for for decades, Japan was a very large holder. Uh, China, you know, in, in more recent decades, has become a, a big holder of U.S. government debt, and and that's one of the the risks that uh, poor financial performance by the U.S. government it could cause some lenders, uh, such as those foreign countries, to sell U.S. government debt. So that can be a case where the demand for borrowing is going up by the U.S. Treasury, but the supply of available funds is going down. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've already been seeing that happening with with China selling large amounts of U.S. government debt. Um, although, you know, you have to wonder if that's more um, motivated by geopolitical issues at this point rather than credit concerns. Um, so it, it, it's hard to say. But, you know, should foreign capital shun the U.S. government? Uh, then more and more the debt's going to be have to be financed domestically, which means instead of pulling 
you know, those funds, that liquidity from uh, from the globe kind of all over, it's going to have to come just from the U.S., which, of course, means, you know, less money domestically that can go into other credit markets and, and fund other investment and, and consumption activities. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anything else you'd like to add to this section before we move to a 401k force out limits increase? Well, just that it's something we're just going to have to really keep an eye on, right? And and see how it impacts the interest rate markets, how it impacts the uh, the yield curve and the shape of the yield curve. And, uh, you know, as, as things continue to progress, and, and I think we'll especially be able to see this effect if we get to the point where the Fed is starting to lower interest rates to a more neutral rate, you know, we'll have a better idea of what impact that's having on the longer end of the curve and how much of it is related to government debt deficit, you know, fiscal policy as opposed to monetary policy. Mm. All right. Well, let's jump right in here. 401k participants who've separated from their employer, that could be retirement, new employment opportunities or termination. They typically have three options with their 401k plan. And we've discussed that a bit, but what what are some of those options? And then, you know, what do we want to kind of dig into here? Yeah. So, I mean, the first is the default, right? Just leave the money in the plan, uh, which a lot of people do because if they're changing jobs or retiring, they've got a lot on their plate. Uh, So at least they often do that in the short term. Um, The other is to transfer the money out to a different retirement plan. So maybe it goes to the new employer's retirement plan or it goes into an IRA. Um, Or, of course, they can they can have the money distributed. And at that point, you know, if if it's a traditional 401k plan, it would be taxable income and and possibly subject to an early withdrawal penalty uh, if the, the person's not over age 59 and a half or doesn't qualify for one of the exceptions. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. But a lot of times what happens is, especially with smaller plans, people just kind of lose track of them. Right. Mm. Um, and so, you know, the 401k plans, they don't want to deal with a lot of these smaller balances and the administrative costs. So there's typically a provision where they can force those, uh, those participants out into an IRA. So out of the plan and just into an IRA, usually set up by the the custodian that that runs the 401k plan. Um, Now what's changed is it used to be, you know, they could only do that for balances of $5,000 or less than, you know, they could do the force out. Um, But now there's going to be a change in 2024 where that's moving up to $7,000 or less. Uh, so not necessarily a huge change, but more people may be caught up in that that situation where they're uh, you know they're they're falling to the that force out rule uh, uh, threshold. Is this a situation due to inflation? They just kind of took a look at that, or is it something that the investment market has kind of put pressure on to increase? I mean, where where does that that increase come from? Yeah, it's not necessarily an inflation adjustment tied. I mean, it might be just you know impacting that with inflation, account balances should be higher over longer. Um, but probably uh, my guess would be they just, you know, look at this issue and say, you know, what is that threshold where you have a lot of smaller plans uh, or plans that have, you know, these smaller accounts and what's kind of that, you know, that uh, that point where there's a lot of people with balances under 7,000 and it's not really uh, economical for the 401k provider uh, to have to maintain those for people that are no longer working there, right? Whether they're retired or they've, they've moved on to other employment. Um, so that that's probably the the thinking is just efficiency and, and trying to take some of the burden off of the 401k plan providers. Uh, now for the, uh, for the, the account owner, 
I mean, it just makes it that much more important that, you know, people monitor their retirement accounts, uh, especially when they separate and especially if they have smaller accounts, uh, because they may find that they're forced out. They could lose track of the plan and not necessarily know where the money's at. Uh, and then in some cases, uh, that money could even be sent to, you know, state unclaimed property. Mm. And so, you know, you could have a, you know, $6,500 401k plan and you think, well, it's not a lot of money. I won't worry about it. Uh, you know, if it gets forced out into it, out into an IRA, uh, maybe, you know, the, the statements get lost in the mail or you move and forget to change or something like that. And the next thing you know, it, it's, it's not even in that IRA anymore. It's been sent to unclaimed property. And then uh, it can be a challenge to go track it down. Uh, and in some cases, if it's sent to unclaimed property, then it's, it's no longer invested. It's cashed out. And so it's just sitting in cash. You know, it could be sitting there for 10 years in cash earning nothing uh, when it's a retirement plan that, that could have been uh, invested and, and ideally uh, growing over time to help fund retirement. As far as the uh, 401k plan that is that is uh, sent to a rollover IRA, uh, is there any uh, fees, fines, et cetera, that come with that for the holder of the account? Uh, there can be, yeah. It, it depends. Uh, you know, it could cause the cost to go up or, or be higher than other options, depending on the 401k custodian and who's doing, you know, who's doing the, uh, the force out. Um, it depends on uh, the terms of the original 401k plan and, and, uh, you know, and then obviously, you know, just the default IRA that the money would get pushed into, which, uh, which obviously at that point, the employee doesn't have a lot of control over because it, it's, uh, you know, it's just an automatic process. Right. Okay. Thank you for the clarification on that. Uh, anything else you want to add before we move to management of uh, credit cards? Well, just, you know, when it comes to these smaller plans and things, I know that it can be kind of a nuisance to have to deal with and thinking, well, it's not a huge amount of money, but I'm a big advocate of cleaning these things up as you go, right? Every now and then we'll uh, we'll have a new client come in and, and want some advice and we'll sit down and we have, find out they got 13 accounts all over the place. <laughs> it ends up being a huge project, a ton of work all at once. If you just clean them up little by little as you go, you know, you're probably going to have to deal with it eventually. You might as well just do it now instead of waiting and have it compound and become a bigger and bigger and, and much more time consuming project uh, when you have to do a lot of this uh, work all at once. Absolutely. Well, I would think it would be advantageous in that you could uh, assess if there is any, you know, uh plans that you can roll something into or or move or whatever to take advantage of it you know there's always a, a positive that can come out of any of the situations exactly yeah i mean if someone has 13 retirement plans one of them is going to be better than some of the others right and so they could have made that decision all along to take advantage of the most attractive opportunities instead of just having it diversified you know across whatever was available at the time all right. Well, let's take a look at management of credit cards. Um, we've talked about this a bit, and it's neat to touch on it in a, in a different area. That uh, Most credit card issuers charge interest on purchases if you carry a balance after the first statement cycle, which is usually one month. Um, but what do we kind of want people to know when that's calculated? Because I've had people ask, and I've never had an answer for this as far as the daily calculations and compounding interest and so on. Right. Yeah. The, the daily compounding, you know, it adds up to a lot more when you take, uh, you know, one 360th of the annual, um, uh, of the annual interest rate. And then you compound that each month. It's actually going to, you know, or each day, it's actually going to turn into a, a lot more in the end. 
Um, and that's one of the big downsides of credit cards, right? I mean, you know, credit cards are a great tool. Um, you know, the most cost-effective way to use them is to, you know, make uh, make purchases, pay off the balance each month, hopefully earning some kind of rewards points or something, you know, that creates a benefit. And and then because you're paying it off each month, you, you avoid paying any interest. Um, but if that's not possible, then it's really important to have a plan, especially with how high those credit card interest rates are. Uh, and these days, you know, it used to be, okay, if, uh, you know, if you racked up some credit card debt, had some unforeseen expenses or an emergency or something like that, uh, you'd often, you know, look at maybe a home equity line of credit or some way to borrow at a much lower interest rate um, to be able to, you know, shift it off of those high interest rate credit cards into a lower payment and, and then pay it off over time. Uh, but of course, these days, where interest rates are, even those home equity lines of credit don't look so attractive and and they are a bit more difficult to get. So we don't have the same uh, solutions that we have in the past, uh, which makes it you know so much more important to really have strategies to manage those credit card balances, whether that means, you know, making uh, extra payments, making additional payments in a month when you, you know, can afford to, um, you know, negotiating to request a lower rate. If you go on some type of payment plan, um, or in some cases, you know, transferring the balance to a new card that might give you a zero percent promotional financing period, uh, that's generally not the best option in terms of your credit score. But you know, if you have a good credit score, the whole idea is to use it to save you money, right? Whether that's on new borrowing or on old borrowing, that'll allow you to reduce the interest rate and, and pay that off sooner than you otherwise would. Yeah, that's interesting. I never knew that about transferring to a, a zero rate promotional thing that these how these things affect your credit score, which is which is always something to keep in mind as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, part of your credit score is uh, is is based on the average length of credit. So if you take out a new credit card to take advantage of that zero percent, obviously they're offering that to you because they they want you to you know use their card in the future, hopefully pay off that balance, use their card, and they'll make money in the long run. Uh, but it's costing them in the short run. While credit card companies don't want people that are constantly jumping from promotional offer to promotional offer because it's costing them money and they're not, you know, making the money on the back end. So, and that's typically someone that would have a fairly short average length of credit um, because they're they're jumping around. And so that for that reason, that's one of the things that could hurt your credit score and, and make it less likely that somebody would want to extend credit in the future or they may charge you a higher interest rate uh you know to make up for the that average added cost that they're incurring right yeah because on a previous episode we touched on it that the that you know there's a misconception that the credit card companies want you to carry a balance and the reality is they want you to actually pay off each month they make the majority of their income through the purchase itself and those fees for using the card that they're charged exactly. to the realtor so or yeah the, uh, yeah it, it, exactly. The the point of sale fees is really, you know, what they want. So they may offer you zero percent interest on a uh, on a balance um, to get you to use their card, so that they then get those point of sale fees as opposed to the old card that you transferred and maybe closed. Right. So it's yeah, it's a way to get you in using their card so that they get the point of sale fees. But really, they don't want you holding that balance. And in a lot of cases, they'll sell those balances off to you know, different companies that'll take the risk and, and collect and, and that, but they're selling them at a discount. So it's costing them money to offload that debt. Right. Right. All right, Mr. Arm, let's jump on over to the plan solutions incorporated office bulletin board. We've got two items pinned up there. What do you got first? 
Yeah, well, first, uh, Daryl and I went to the Financial Planning Association of Northern California's Fall Symposium. Uh, this year, they held it at, uh, at California State University, Sacramento, and it, it was a pretty neat setup. So we had a lot of students there that are working towards a degree in, in financial planning. Uh, so they kind of did a hybrid where we had some of the normal agenda, which included some uh, you know, fairly advanced uh, financial planning topics, uh, mostly around estate planning and and uh, liability for business owners. Um, but then they carved out a portion for uh, for a long time financial planners like Daryl and myself to sit down with students one on one and mentor them by providing career advice and kind of helping them to understand the financial services industry, the types of opportunities available, uh, and really, you know, what best fits, what what they're looking for, right? Their personality, their uh, professional goals, et cetera. So they have a better idea of maybe what track they want, they, they want to go down. Yeah. I bet that's a really a rewarding and interesting experience to, to, you know, kind of look back at maybe how you were 25 years ago or so and, and really assess what, uh, you know, give people the reality of what the business is like. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, anyone who's uh, been successful in our industry, someone's, you know, helped them along the way, understand how things work and what the options are. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's important to, you know, come full circle and, and, uh, you know, give back ourselves. Absolutely. What's the second item you have pinned up there? Uh, well, just that we uh, we recently, you know, we had our golf tournament uh, a few weeks ago, and then we sponsored a golf tournament for the Assistance League of Sacramento. Mm. Uh, it, it was a it was a great time. It was, it was held out at Ranch Marietta Country Club, same place where we held ours. So, you know, somewhere I'm I'm very aware of. Um, but Sacramento uh, chapter of the Assistance League is one of 120 assistant Assistance League chapters nationwide. Uh, where volunteers work to improve their local communities. And I thought it was very interesting. Uh, uh, they did a great job putting on the tournament, a lot of nice people. And it was just really interesting learning about, um, you know, these organizations that are in our community that are that are doing good. And so if, if it's something anybody's interested in, it, it's definitely worth, worth checking out. And, you know, if you're looking uh, for some volunteer opportunities, it'd, it'd be a great way to get involved in the community. Absolutely. The big question is, how well did you play? Uh, we we played well. We played well, but I did have the the current club champion on my team, so it, it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't very fair. <laughs> well, the only one by the five strokes. Oh, uh, okay. I got you. Uh, well, someone that played golf with you recently, I was uh, I was expecting a good round from you. So. <laughs> Uh, anything else you'd like to add, Mr. Armour, before we wrap up this episode of the Plan Solutions Incorporated podcast? Nope. Just uh, hope everyone had a you know fun, safe Halloween. I know my kids, they decided they're too old for trick-or-treating. So uh, we, we stayed home and, and watched uh, A Haunting in Venice, which came out on Hulu on Halloween. So that was fun. That was, that was a good, uh, you know, good kind of you know, a little bit scary, but mostly thriller, you know, typical Agatha Christie trying to figure out who done it. So definitely recommend it if, if anybody's still in the, the Halloween mood. All right. Well, I'll put that on the list. And uh, yeah, around here, we uh, we just carved our pumpkins and, and decorated, handed out some candy. We weren't expecting many in the neighborhood because of the, the temperature, but uh, they like the kids seemed to last till about eight o'clock until it hit about below 60. <laughs> and then the streets cleared up real fast. So 
Uh, but it was a nice season. Well, anyways, we thank you all for listening to the podcast. Again, if this is your first time, please hit that subscribe button. And uh, we want to thank all those that are sharing and telling a friend. Uh, we're seeing a nice uptick in listenership. And as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, we don't do any advertising of the podcast. We know that's because you're getting value out of it and uh, sharing with others. So a big thank you. And of course, if you want to subscribe to the personal financial review, the written content we discuss here on the podcast, send Katie an email there at Plan Solutions. That's K-A-T-I-E at PlanSolutions.com. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities. The information may not be current and Plan Solutions has no obligation to provide an updates or changes. Plan Solutions does not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast or any live liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. Plan Solutions is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by any Plan Solutions associate or individual to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of Plan Solutions. Any reference to a specific company or security does not constitute a recommendation to buy, sell, hold, or directly invest in the company or its securities. Market indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested in directly. All price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this podcast. Plan Solutions is a registered investment advisory firm.